Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 243 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for hanging out here with me. Before I introduce today's guest, let me just say that we are less than two weeks away from the Craft Beer Label Design course launching and out there in the world. That happens on March 2nd, and man, I am so excited. This course just keeps getting better and better and better, and tomorrow I am filming an incredible bonus that I'm going to be including in this course. It wasn't even planned at the outset. It just came together and I thought, you know what? That's an amazing bonus for this course. So I'm just filling this sucker with value and it is there because if you've ever been interested in designing labels, now I've called it the craft beer label design course, but it could work for kombucha, could work for cold brew coffee, could work for um, you know, gin sodas, it could work for cosmetics, it could work for pharmaceutical, nutraceutical, any kind of label design, this course will fit for. Yes, I've called it the craft beer label design course, but it's kind of trendy and it rolls off the tongue. And pl- like in the label world, there's a lot of labels to talk about in that beer world. So if you at all are interested in craft beer label design or any label design for that matter, Go get a taste, just a little treat, just a little something of this label design world, a little peek, if you will, at how it all comes together, how it works by going to printdesignacademy.com and getting the guide that's there. There's a free guide at printdesignacademy.com where I tell you about five different labels and shrink sleeves and how they were made what went into them from the inks, from the file setup to the die cut, blah, blah, blah. I fill it with that kind of info. And just to sort of give you a taste of that world and what is possible with label design, printdesignacademy.com and the craft beer label course launches on March 2nd. Mark your calendars, kids. It's going to be rad. So now let's get to it. Today's guest on the show is Mr. Chris Logsdon. He is a brand director, creative director at the Sasha Group out of New York City. He's also been in the graphic design game for over 15 years now. During this episode, we talk about how he grew up an Air Force kid, moved around a lot. So that played into his creative vision, the development of his creativity. He also shares with us a little story about the 10th grade fine arts teacher and the influence that they had on his career trajectory. He then tells us about some of the other creative influences he has had along the way. We talk a little bit about a coffee logo design, talk a little bit about a space-related project that he was a part of. We also get into why being promoted into one of his most recent roles was the most challenging time in his career that he's experienced so far. All of this, plus more, and a dynamite ask it forward question that we have never heard on this show before. Never, ever. I promise you that. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. I'll kick it over to my good friend, Mr. Chris Logsdon. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. 
and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a quickie? Chris, welcome to the Quickie Podcast, man. Great to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, Dave. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, before we get rocking here, are you ready for a quickie, Chris? Man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. <laughs> uh, You'd have about three nickels. I'd still have a nickel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, let me start by kicking this over to you and saying, uh, just briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so my name is Chris Logston. Um, graphic design designer by trade. Uh, been working now for... Uh, I guess 15, 16 years. I currently am the branding director for a company called the Sasha Group, which sits underneath the uh, Vayner X umbrella, which was started yes. by um, an entrepreneur named Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. um, I've been here for almost a little over, I think I'm coming up on my seven years. Um, so, and this is my third agency um, in, in my short, short career, uh, but it's been, it's been very fun. So currently in upstate New York due to the pandemic, um, recently was down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I, I helped open up the um, the office down there for, at the time, VaynerMedia. It's now been transitioned into the Sasha Group, mm -hmm. um, but recently moved back up to upstate New York, uh, my hometown, Saratoga Springs, where I currently am working out of an office, one-man office here. I love it, man. Dude, you've been rehearsing that, haven't you? Yeah, it did, did it feel rehearsed? I don't know. No. <laughs> just give no, me yeah. time. Right. no, no, we cruised <laughs> through that. No problem, man. Um, that's awesome, Chris. So I want to kick this back even further now to get rocking. Um, what was your childhood like, Chris? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you in this career direction? Uh, it's fun looking back, and it's it's a great question. It's fun looking back and you know through that lens. Uh, and I I would certainly say yes um, when when I do um, again, kind of look back and in, into how I was brought up and raised. Uh, so first and foremost, I was an Air Force brat. So I lived all over the world um, as that lifestyle usually goes. Every three to four years, the government says, go that way and you go. Mm -hmm. So born, born in Sacramento, California, I'll give you the quick rundown. Uh, born in Sacramento, California, uh, about four and a half years, almost five years in uh, Japan outside of Tokyo um, wow. at uh, Yokota Air Force Base. And then back to Southern California in Edwards Air Force Base. Um, big, uh, big base out there. And then, um, upstate New York, um, pretty much for the remainder of my, you know, up until now, I guess so I, I got here in like probably fifth, fifth or sixth grade. Um, and, uh, so I think just the traveling alone was, was a pretty creative way of living, I guess you could say. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, all along, I, I'm always interested, I think like any kid is in, you know, drawing and things like that, comic books. Uh, my brother was also into it too. And I would always, you know, I think my, 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 earliest memories of doing any form of art was tracing my brother's drawings because he was a better drawer than I was. <laughs> um, and, you know, my uh, growing up, my mom had always said there was always a some, somewhat of a lineage of artists from her side of the family. So I oh, think God. now um, I could safely say that I get my artistic side from my mom and then my work ethic from my father. If I had to like kind of split it down the middle, I think it's how it's balanced out. But um, yeah, it just, you know, it always was a thing in my life. Never really thought it could be a, a career um, until probably later on in high school. But um, yeah, I think that, again, short form version of it, I think that's mm -hmm. that's kind of how um, I, I got into this uh, this career. 
Well, that's interesting, man, because I've had a few guests, um, you know, who are designers who have a similar sort of childhood, whether it's through Air Force, Army stuff, whatever, whatever it is, but ended up moving around a lot when when they were younger. And that perspective from all of these different cultures and, and connecting the dots on how that plays into their sort of current role, their current style, the way they work now, you know, things like that. Um I want to home in a little bit on that high school point you made where you really didn't see graphic design as a career or a thing until then. Um, mm -hmm. Was it a family member, a guidance counselor, or a teacher? Like who really, was there somebody that pointed you to graphic design as a career or showed you that? Or how did you come to that? Yeah, it, it's great. I can actually you know, narrow it down to one singular person. Um, his name is uh, Damien Fantasi. He was my 10th grade fine arts teacher. Um, <laughs> I, I, if I if I remember correctly, he was an Italian guy. He always had this motto where he was like, if you if you kind of ever gave him any lip in yeah. our class, he, his saying was, as he clinched his fist in front of you, he's uh, he would always say, uh, "Why I ought to hit you in the mouth?" Right? It was always this fun little thing. Was, anyways, um, great, great. I mean, one of those teachers where, and I think we all can relate to this. One of those teachers where you look back and you're like, "Oh man, that." that particular teacher for some reason or another, like really struck a chord with me and um, I'll remember forever. And in, in this particular instance, um, yeah, I was good. I was always good at drawing and, and things like that. And I think he recognized that, but when it came time to getting messy with things like paints, I just wasn't into it. And I think he recognized um, the frustration there. And I kid you not, he said, you should go check out the graphic design uh, studio and the teacher talked to the teacher, a uh, gentleman by the name of Mr. Green, and just go see if you're into that, right? So he he kind of, I think that was the first time I think I ever heard the word graphic design. I thought it was, I thought he, I thought he was talking about CAD because we also had a CAD program. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that technical thing, I don't know. Um, but uh, it was more graphic design. So he he was the person that kind of led me and exposed me to that initially. Um, and then I think that the following year, my junior year in high school, I took the class and, um, it, um my gosh, life-changing in that I think for the first time in, in a school related, in a school related setting, I just couldn't get enough of it. Right. I was, I was skipping yeah. my lunch period to go back and spend more time in the lab as opposed to eating lunch. Um, because it was just so fascinating to me at the time. And this is like Photoshop 2.0, like, like literally <laughs> When, when you couldn't even, there, you had one layer in Photoshop or maybe two and that was it, right? So early, mm -hmm. early on, 1997, 98. Um, and again, um, as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, having that experience and opportunity so early on, meaning in high school, was was very rare at the time. So I massively appreciate the, the school itself, but particularly Damon Fantasi for, uh, for offering that up to me. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember my 10th grade, um, you know, those electives, things that you could sort of pick an extracurricular, not extracurricular, but, you know, the creative courses that you could take. And, you know, there was drafting, there was cooking and a couple of things like that. But, you know, like you're saying, you know, it, it, it was pretty rare to have a, you know, a specific graphic design course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I think you're right. At that time, it was photography, pottery, kind of more, I think the general art classes you could take as, and even like just drawing, right? Drawing one, drawing two, yeah. um, but to have, and yeah, it's, it's to have that um, as such a, 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 another class to be able to, to take and get into was, uh, was pretty cool at the time. And uh, shoot, I'm glad, I'm glad it was there, man. Cause it certainly worked out well for me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely worked out well for you. Um, so during this time period, you know, grade 10, this teacher, you know, introduces you to graphic design, you know, from that point on or, or sometime early in your trajectory here, is there one specific design or illustration or brand or something that stands out as maybe the most influential 
design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you since? Uh, I don't, that's not necessarily around that time frame. Um, but, you know, as in, in, there have been a lot of moments for sure um, where I've like latched on to something, um, you know, even if, if I recall back from living in Japan, there's a famous painting, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's this iconic image of the waves. Um, there are a lot of moments throughout my life where like that image was cool. I was super into comic books as a kid, Marvel comics. So that was, that's one of the earliest things I remember like sort of drawing and, you know, having notebooks filled with just Wolverine you know, tracings and things like that. And then, you know, uh, baseball cards designs as getting into like baseball cards as a kid. Um, so I think there, there have been moments of certain uh, moments of inspiration coming from different things that were probably design or movie or photo related. Um, most recently I've gotten into, uh, uh, and when I get into something, I, I, I go, I go deep on it. Uh, most recently I got into, uh, uh, designs that are found on old vintage shop rags, which are such a weird thing um, as it relates to a, a side hustle that I do. So um, yeah, I think there, there have been a lot of things. I don't think there's one in particular that like really captivated me, but I think it's just depending on where I was at that moment in time, I was attracted to something that was like the next thing that kept me motivated to keep, to keep drawing, keep designing, um, you know, get further deeper into whatever it was that I was looking at. So things were always coming up that sort of, you know, continue to ignite and fuel that that fire for design and going in that direction. Always, I mean, there's even to this day, it's just like, what's what's the next thing that's going to captivate my attention? That's going to keep me going. Uh, I think that that was always the case at different, again, at different points in my life. So um, it's hard to narrow down into one particular one particular thing. For sure. So we talked a little bit about some of the, you know, little influences and things that have come along the way. Um, do you have any designers or brands that you look up to right now, think are killing it or that you just look up to um, right now? Uh, ton yeah, tons. I mean, my gosh. And I think they're all sort of coming from different walks of life and um, different sort of fortes in the in the art world. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan. the The school that I went to in upstate New York in Albany, the College Nate Rose. You know, we learned a ton about the just the classics, um, the classic designers and illustrators. You know, um, that sort of paved the way for for this world of graphic design. The 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 Michael Beirut's, Paula Shears, Milton Glaziers, Herb Lubalans, Paul, all those. Right. So I'm, I I love. I'm super romantic, and I'm probably getting now more back into that type of stuff uh, mm -hmm. because of like, you know, the different logo books that I'm sure we all collect and share. Um, in terms of, you know, modern day ones that I, I admire, it, it's funny, it's a lot of them are coming from uh, the connected world we all live in via Instagram, you know, uh, and these different platforms. Um, you know, was recently going back and forth with Alan Peters, who I met a couple years ago in Chattanooga during a conference. Uh, awesome dude. Love his work. I love the the volume, the amount of volume he puts out. That's just the quality is always there. I'm really good friends with, uh, let's see, Scott Fuller, the studio temporary. I met him at the same conference years ago, TopCon in, in Chattanooga. Um, and yeah, I think just always talking with these folks and, and admiring their work. And then I, I've recently even just started to get into... Um, or just have pay more attention to non-designers, just like artists that I just love, love their work. Um, a good friend of mine, Orlando, Orlando um, Erosina, who's a digital illustrator, um, is has done some really good work. And there's a girl named uh, Amber Vittoria, who is, a, I think she's a painter, but the the type of work she's doing is so graphic. And I just, I love 
the mixed media approach and just how bold her work is. So it's, I'm all over the place, you know, in terms of that. Um, but those are a few of the names. Um, and I, you know, I recently just watched a documentary on this photographer named Jay Mizell. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Dude, documentary is called Jay Myself. It's okay. phenomenal. Um, uh, photographer, lived in New York City, owns, he owned this really iconic bank in the Bowery, which I walked by every day when I was living in New York City, but I never really knew the story of this man until this documentary came out. It's incredible. Okay. And now I'm super into his, his, his photography. It's gorgeous. And I never even knew about this guy. So um, yeah, a lot of good design, design work that I admire, but now I'm kind of getting into other pockets where I'm just like really starting to pay attention to artists who are not in my field mm -hmm. that can, I'm, I'm of course can probably provide some sorts of inspiration for the work that I, I personally do. Man, that's awesome. What are you connected? And Jay, myself, the documentary there. Um, what, where did you watch that? Just, I definitely want to check that out. Uh, I believe I watched it on, I want to say, I think you have to rent it. So I think just through Apple TV. Okay. Um, it, it came out, I think in 2018, I remember seeing it being like, oh, I've always wondered about that. Cause it's the building really. When you, when you, for those who live in New York city, they probably know this particular building. Um, and, uh, I, I remember, you know, hearing that there was a crazy story around the guy who lived in this five story building in, in the yeah. Bowery. And this documentary does an, a beautiful job telling the story of this photographer, okay. um, in his collection, he's got a crazy collection inside. So, I mean, you'll do <laughs> You'll, you'll love it. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again because, um, it's one of those guys, this, the photographer, Jay Mizell, yeah. just everything he says, you're like, Oh, I got to write that down. That was so inspirational. Oh my gosh. That was so good. So definitely check it out. Yeah. For anyone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For anyone listening, highly, highly recommend it. Um, probably the best thing that I watched in 2000, 2020. Besides cool. Cobra Kai, besides Cobra Kai, of course. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, Chris, before we get into some of the tough questions now, um, mm. I wanted to bring up your Instagram on the screen here, and I'm going to just scroll through, see what stands out to me, pick a couple of posts, and I want to hear a story behind it. I want to hear what went into it, what the, what the post was about, what it was for. So let's do uh -oh. that. Uh-oh. Yeah. There's, there's some question. There's some questionable things here, man. Hmm. Oh man, so much to go with here. <laughs> okay, so this is unique and standing out to me. Give me a. What's the detail here? Uh, every year, I create a monogram for the age that I turn. So Fantastic. this year, I turned. I turned thirty-nine. That's it, man. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's you know, simple, right? Look at that. Yes. 39. No, that's 39. super clean, man. Yeah, it's the three going into the nine. Okay, so when is it with birthday? That. So I can look out for the next one. Uh, November 30th. So you got some time, brother. Okay, we got some time. But I'll be good. So it, it's funny because, you know, every year I'm like, oh, okay, what are the two numbers I'm playing with this year? So four zero, <laughs> four zero. I'm already starting to cook. I'm starting to cook up some ideas around that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be this year later on. Love it. Okay, this is – give me this one. What's going on here? Uh, that was a proposed logo got shot down, uh, for the, uh, yoga training club. So what you're looking at is a Y, um, and the reciprocal of that particular Y is just happens to be a T, which is really cool. Um, enwrapped or encircled with this C. So C Y T for yoga training club. Uh, a good nice. friend of mine, um, Dan out of New York city, uh, uh, he commissioned me to do some work for him and I produced, I think three or four marks. This was one of them, uh, but was not the one that was ultimately chosen. But I, yeah, I quite like 
you know, the challenge of like, you know, when you do monograms or things like this, how do you find some balance when you have just like letters that seem to oppose one another? And as always, you keep pushing and finding and turning and twisting and squinting at things. And sure enough, you could, you know, you can find some, some uh, similarities between letters like a Y and a T and and Mm -hmm. how a C can also play with that. So that's what that one is. You know, I can just picture you creating it and literally like turning your head and trying to like look at it upside down in some different ways. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of swigs of whiskey probably helped with that as well. <laughs> Doesn't that help with everything? Always. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's rip, uh, let's pull up one more here. Let's see what's jumping out at me. Ooh, so much. Anything you see that you really want to get into? Oh, man. Um, you know, I'm seeing that. Go ahead. I'm seeing this a lot here. So, I, like, I've seen this on trucks. I've seen it on logo further up. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you popped this one up. So, this one um, is for a local coffee company here in Albany, New York, called Chris's Coffee. It, this okay. is not my company, um, although I like to think I would hopefully get a discount because my first name is Chris. Totally um, sure. This was super interesting in that. Uh, a friend of mine worked there and they reached out to me and said, Hey, um, I feel like the brand needs to be uh, refreshed. They had a mm-hmm. clip art looking logo. Um, nice. And uh, I, I was happy to take it on. You know, I, l- I love doing work for companies like, you know, mom and pop shops. And this one's a little bit larger than that. But because um, usually, more often than not, um, there's no, you know, committee or board that you have to present to and have, you know, eight people try to critique your marks objectively. In this particular right. case, it was it was Chris, the owner, and, and primarily his two daughters, who, who also run the business with him. And cool. uh, the inspiration behind the mark here that you're looking at, this is one of the three uh, logos that exists in their new identity. This one, of course, is, is a badge um, that is inspired by uh, the backstory of um, Chris, the gentleman who owns the company. And uh, he had a, uh, when he started the company in 1975, Hence the since 1975 on the bottom there, he, excuse me, um, he was uh, slinging coffee and coffee parts and machines out the back of his 75 El Camino. <laughs> so specifically the SS version of it, Not and it was course. red. It was his baby, and I was like, guys, that's that's the story. So when 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 his daughters told me about the origins of it, I was like, we that's in the world of branding, like you kill for a story like that, like the founder yeah. story. And a lot of times when, you know, especially in the world of design, I'm sure you probably see a lot of this too. And for those who are listening, there's probably some heads nodding, you know, you can, you know, of course, there's a lot of good looking logos out there. Um, some look, you know, some are amazing, some look similar. Um, but when you can attach a, a really deep meaning and a story behind it, that's where I think brand starts to be built. Right. So in this particular case, beyond just giving them something that looks good, like let's lean into that story. Let's story tell through the logos and the yeah. new brand identity. And that's going to set you apart from, as you know, the 4 million freaking coffee companies that exist. So <laughs> this particular badge, uh, the CC there is inspired by the old SS lettering um, yeah. of that era. Uh, of course, the red and the black, uh, the primary logo in this one. Um, I actually did a, a more detailed illustration of profile shot of Chris actually sitting in his car, holding a cup of coffee, the El Camino. Um, and then I did a few other fun ones that just kind of gave them a little, you know, uh, a breath of, uh, of marks and things to be used uh, when appropriate. Um, this one works well, uh, again, in badge form for those areas where, um, you know, real estate's a bit limited. But And they did such a great job um, blowing this out across their new headquarters. They, they, they bought a whole new factory, all their machines. They're massive. I mean, we're talking big roasting machines. They're all red and black. So they embraced it. So one, awesome. one thing that I was so excited to see was, 
not only did they allow me to, to really storytell and bring some of these really fun marks to life, but they mm -hmm. executed everything so well. And I think a lot of times as designers, we get so into these things and we fall in love with it, but then the client deploys it, whether it's through printing or something else, it just, they just don't do it right. But yeah. fortunately enough, uh, my friend who worked with them at the time, he, he totally got it. So he was able to really see it to fruition. And um, yeah, I love, I see this truck literally driving down my street all the time. Um, so it's just fun to see it out and about. And uh, I, again, I love the founder story and how that really came through in this particular project. A hundred percent. I know when you come across a, a story like that, um, you know, you're, you're probing, you're asking these questions, you're trying to dig into the history and all of a sudden you get a gem like that. Like that's, that's rare. It's powerful. I mean, that's brand, right? Yeah. That's again, you know, I, the amount of clients that I work for now that doesn't exist. It's, it's somewhat rare. So when you do have that pay close attention, because that can be the defining thing that sets one brand apart from another. Man, so what is that like? You know, right now I pulled up a picture of the truck um, with your logo huge on the side of it. You know, what what does that feel like every time you see that thing drive by? Well, oddly enough, uh, and, and weirdly enough, I am super fascinated with truck logos. I actually started a whole hashtag of truck and train logos on my feed. Uh, so I, I literally giggle every time I get to see this thing because it, I, you know, it's for those who can't see it, definitely check it out. It's all red. The logo, I was like, guys, make this thing honking big on the side. It looks so good. It's appropriate. It's legible. It's like racing um, stripes down the side. Yeah, it just it just looks really cool for a coffee company, right? So anti-coffee company looking, which I love about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, like any designer who gets to see their work, you know, in a, around town or uh, where have you, um, it's just fun to see it, you know, in, in, in real life and seeing it put to use. And it's, it's good pressure test too, to see if, hey, was this the right move to make? And in this particular case, I would argue it worked out very well. You could see this truck from a mile away. And what's yeah. great about this particular shot is my father-in-law who has his own little company, who has his jewelry company downtown. He, uh, that was parked outside of his, his shop there. So he took that photo <laughs> and he said it to me. So, um, you know, awesome seeing the truck, but then brownie points with the father-in-law, um, as you know, hopefully he was a fan of it when he saw it parked outside a shop. Popped in the wild. Yeah. It's popping off in the wild. Father-in-law's digging it. It'd right? be even funnier if he had no idea you did the logo and just sent it to you and said, Hey, love this. You're a designer. I thought you'd think this was cool. Or the opposite could have been like worse, right? Like this is awful. Horrible. Look right? at this like, god awful truck. Then I just would have denied I ever even knew about it, you know, whatnot. So uh, yeah, yeah. But truck logos are awesome. And they're, they're, um, yeah, I mean, and uh, I guarantee you there's some some people out there who probably would agree with me, but keep an eye out for some of these trains and truck logos, like some of the best graphic design I think happening in the world today. 100%. I totally agree there. So Chris, unfortunately, we have to get into some of the tough stuff, man. Um, the next couple of questions I have for you, take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. Yeah. And I want to pull those stories out, share those with the listeners, then we'll turn it around and finish up in a happy place. Sweet. Let's go. So first up, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, it's a great question. Um, because I, I, you know, I've, I've actually been pretty good my entire career, meaning I've never really had anything that, you know, uh, disrupted my life so significantly to where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. It's like, for the most part, it's, you know, Sure, I've learned some lessons here and there, but I do think there was one in particular that had nothing actually real, anything to do specifically with my work, um, mm -hmm. but more or less uh, the title I was given. And that was when um, I was anointed a creative director um, with the agency that I work for now. 
And the reason why that was such a um, interesting moment in my career was that within the the, the VaynerX world, um, and if you know anything about Gary Vaynerchuk, you probably know how enthusiastic he is around uh, mm-hmm. just human being and empathy, human beings and empathy and how we treat one another. And um, of the three agencies I've worked for, it's never been more true than it is here. And I think that's because I'm, and I'm a huge believer in this, like it starts at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everything he, you know, he is about transcends every single corner of every single business or office that, you know, sits underneath um, uh, his, his, the Vanderex umbrella, which is his, his brand, right? Um, and uh, at the time, up until that point, it was always about the work. Like do good work, do good work, crush, stay late, like provide options, have good critiques. Of course, not that I was not nice or anything like that, but it was always about like, I'm going to outwork the next person and yeah. do better work than them. And mm-hmm. that was the mentality I've always had growing up. And um, I think a lot of agencies that's always encouraged, of course, um, the higher you get, the more, I, I, I guess it's always some of that aspect is, is admired and rewarded because of that type of mentality. At Vayner, it's, it's almost, it's pretty much the exact opposite. Um, and it was a hard lesson for me to learn. Um, and it almost cost me my job in that I didn't quite understand the expectations. Not that I was told. I, I don't think I was aware of, of what mm-hmm. that truly meant in that at that level here, the pendulum has to swing from caring less about the work to caring more about the human beings on your team, the people. And it didn't quite click with me initially. I rolled mm-hmm. in there thinking, I'm like, I'm just going to like uh, respectfully, and, and I'm a, I tend, I, I think I'm a nice guy um, in how I talk to people and communicate people. But, um, you know, at times, like perhaps getting a little too hard on those members of my team when the work wasn't mm-hmm. up to the standards um, and just the way I communicated wasn't, uh, I think, the, the appropriate um, way to handle some situations. And mm-hmm. I learned very quickly that that's just not going to fly in this agency. So that, uh, and it wasn't until I had some very hard conversations with the powers that be where they really, you know, they said, listen, the work, you do good work. It's always going to be the case, but now the team has to learn how to do that quality and you need to help get them there in yeah. a way that is, in a, in a way that is more appropriate to what we believe in here at VaynerMedia and VaynerX and the Sasha group. And it, it my gosh, uh, it was such, and I embraced it. I, they called me out appropriately. I, I yeah. realized that I needed that. I needed to work on that. So that transition from associate creative director to creative director time and understanding what that truly meant um, was a game changer, eye-opening experience um, for me in, in my work life. But then it also helped in my personal life with you know my family and with, with marriage in terms of just how do you communicate properly and Interesting. put other people first, um, regardless of who's right or wrong. Um, it, it meant it, like, talk about a moment in time um that that was it so you have this designer role and you're designing and your focus is the work let's do amazing work you get promoted to more of a a creative director role where now you're not necessarily in there doing the work you're overseeing a team that's doing that so your perspective needs to change from let's make amazing work to now let's empower these people and and critique and um, constructive criticism, give them constructive criticism on this work in a way that reflects the company values, not in a way that you might have been taught before or experienced before. Mm. And yeah, and just what makes them happy? Like simple question. And I remember the conversations I had once I went through this process of asking point blank, 
what makes you happy and how can I make you even, how can I contribute to that during your time here mm -hmm. at VaynerMedia, the Sasha group? Like that, those are very deliberate questions that I had to learn how to re-ask and not only just ask, but then to listen to the response and, and, and hear them and sometimes read between the lines of like, oh my gosh, you're just, you're on the wrong team. Okay, let's figure out how I can get you over here. Or, and sometimes it, it, it even meant like, you're, this is just not the right agency for you. Like mm -hmm. you, you should be, let's, let's see if we can't help you get to where you wanna go. And if that means at a different agency, at a different uh, position, at another company, then how can we help you do that? And I think that is the magic of, um, and of course I know I'm a little biased here, but that's the magic of the, of the world that I currently live in. Yeah. Um, which is this world that Gary has built. Cause I tell you it, that that did not exist in my two agencies. That's a rare thing that I fully acknowledge that I, um, um, I get in, in, in my day to day now, but mm -hmm. I never had anyone ask me those questions when I was coming up. It was just like, let's get the work done, you know, and we'll do whatever, whatever it is we have to do to get, no one asked me like, are you happy here? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> learning that and then being able to have that type of conversation with, with my team members was, was key because now you're starting to hear some truth some some truth and honesty coming through and building that environment was so important you know because that, that's a hard conversation for some people to have when you're talking mm -hmm. like you know talking to your creative director as, as a junior designer like sometimes they don't want to open up so being able to create that that environment and that culture and that relationship um took some time but when you start getting some of that honesty that's yeah. when i think that's where i think the role of the creative director truly matters and that now it's on me to help you get to that point um, regardless of what title position you're at to make sure that every day you wake up, you are happy doing what you want to do. Because when that happens, shocker, the work that comes out of that is just, is going to be better. It's better. Everything becomes more fulfilling. 100%. Man, what a perspective shift that you had to go through for that. Bonkers. Dude. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm, and I'm so very appreciative. I, I, that changed my life. It, I kid you not that changed my life. So I'm very appreciative of the fact that they, they took the time, you know, Gary and, and the people he surrounds himself with took the time to, um, to teach me that hard lesson. Man, but it, it's interesting because not only, not only are they teaching you that lesson, but they are, they're putting into practice what they're asking you to do. They're showing you that this is how we want you to be approaching your team. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, so Chris, with this next one, I want to get a little bit more specific. Um, take us to a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result, fell flat on the boardroom floor, um, whatever that is. Can you, what was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Yeah, I think one in particular, um, again, very fortunate that I don't have any, I don't have too many horror stories, but this one yeah. in particular um, was for us, just a small client, local job. Um, and you know, just some, it's sometimes a lot of time as designers, we sometimes either blame the client or blame ourselves. And there's a lot of that can happen in, in any given moment. But in this particular case, um, I had gone through, I think three or four rounds of design work um, and kind of beat myself up on it. Or I got mad at the client at some point because it's just like, listen, why? I thought I delivered that already. You didn't like it, what's going on? Um, and uh, it truth be told in this particular, it was just an assignment to create a, a logo Mm -hmm. for um, a local um, traveling company um, in, in the upstate, uh, the capital district area of upstate New York. And when the dust settled and we ultimately, you know, the, the final mark didn't come to fruition. Um, I only accepted half payment because I'm not going to take full payment for work that I didn't deliver upon. Um, mm -hmm. I just realized that the client just wasn't necessarily ready 
to bring me on as soon as they did, meaning they didn't fully bake out. I don't think my opinion, they fully didn't bake out what their business was, um, should, uh, was going to be or what they wanted it to be. And I think maybe we started the process too early because there was a lot of like, Oh, that's not it. But, Oh, I like that one from round one. Can we bring it back? But uh, you didn't like it then. Like what's, so I think a lot of miscommunication happened because it just, I don't think it just wasn't the right time. Um, I don't think it was reflective of the work that I delivered and, or um, necessarily it being a bad client. It just happened to be timing was just off, you know, and uh, you know, still good friends with that particular person, actually really good friends. And later on, they, they brought in another designer and um, completed the job. I think about a year later and it looks great, you know, so mm -hmm. I'm happy for them that they got what they needed. Um, but uh, again, uh, thankful and grateful that I don't really have too many stories. You know, of course, client, there's some in the world of advertising and beyond just designing logos and stuff. I've had bad client meetings and, you know, a lot of times just because you're presenting to a board of 10, you know, brand directors, each saying different things and, you know, um, the whole design by committee thing. And that's always going to happen. Um, but um, yeah, this particular case uh, with this logo was just based on just bad timing, I think. Yeah, interesting. So they just sort of didn't have the full understanding and scope of, of what they're trying to do, what they're trying to create. Um, you know, what, when they Which happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it just, it just happens, you know? And again, that's um, not pointing fingers out, you know, could I have done better, listen a little more perhaps. And so, um, mm -hmm. but again, I think that ultimately, cause yeah, I think it's, a, you know, both good human beings on both sides of the conversation, it, it ended amicably and no hard feelings. And like I said, they ended up getting a logo that works. It's, it's amazing. Um, and they're off to the races. That's awesome. Great to hear that. Um, Chris, what is something you're struggling with in your design career right now? Ooh, uh, well, considering the, the world we live in, the this pandemic, um, you know, I've always, my entire career has always been working inside a physical building at an agency where I'm surrounded by any given time, 30, mm -hmm. 100 people. So, um, you know, uh, not that I can't work remotely, but, um, being uh, somewhat isolated inside the house and dealing, you and I are, are going through this where families and kids are running around and running amok and there's things to deal sure. with that perhaps can, you know, uh, disrupt the creative process um, as we're working every day. I think that the one thing that I miss is just being in that type of environment where there's just some really cool, fun, uh, creative energy happening that you can vibe off of um, as you're working. And, you know, for me, it's just not getting out as much as I, I'm, I'm an extrovert, hands down. Like I love being around people. I love, being around different environments that can, you know, again, yeah. spur some of that creativity. So I, we've been taking this fairly seriously. So um, quarantining ourselves for the most part, just to be safe, um, has just taken its effect on just getting out, you know, not even just for creative inspiration, just physically, just like, I just need fresh, <laughs> fresh breath of air. So walking, walking down my driveway to get my mail is, uh, is the best part of my day sometimes just because <laughs> yeah, I, I can literally look up in the sky, take a deep breath and continue about. So I think that's the one thing I miss um, considering again, what's happening in the world. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I don't know about you, but when, you know, with our kids, we're homeschooling our kids um, this year, we just made the decision that, you know, the, the landscape of sending them to school just looked so uncertain. And um, a couple of our kids are type one diabetic. So there's like some extra health things in there Thought you know what, let's just, let's just keep them home and, and keep them in sort of our little bubble here. Um, yeah. so, but I find that like you mentioned, you know, the struggle to get into that creative space um, because of that noise and distraction. And as, as a parent, the obligation of, I should be there to help out a little bit too. 100%. So 
so pulling out, I, I agree, but the, this new work from home thing, there's moments that that will make it super challenging. Yeah, and you know, it's like I said, I it's definitely super challenging. But at the end of the day, it's like no complaints, right? Like no. there are bigger things in this world that we have to acknowledge and realize that its mm -hmm. priorities are are still set appropriately and. Um, it, my life isn't that that bad to where it's like, uh, it's you know, I, I'm very fortunate and very blessed. I know there's a lot of people out there who are dealing with so much more, um, the circ their circumstances are just not like mine. So it's just good to keep in mind, count my blessings and realize that um, I know there are other people who are dealing with worse stuff. So who am I, who am I to complain? Agreed. Yep. All good. Okay. Well, let's turn this bus around then, Chris. Um, I want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Um, there's, there's been a ton, you know, like whether it's been, you know, with, within the, the work that we've done, um, in the Vayner world, um, where we, uh, sold in an idea for a, a carpet cleaning company. Um, and we had the opportunity to make a horror movie trailer around that, which is super fun. Um, you know, doing something like that to, um, uh, just some more like kind of personal work where I got an opportunity to work with, with NASA, um, uh, last year in recreating and redesigning the Launch America logo, which is really cool, um, which is literally now starting to, uh, uh, pun intended, take off. Um, <laughs> last, the last SpaceX launch, uh, the last SpaceX launch uh, in, back in November um, was when the logo was unveiled. So it's cool because that, you know, should all, all things being equal and that program continues to get more popular with uh, private, privately owned companies like SpaceX and Boeing's coming to the government to use their equipment through NASA, that logo is going to continue to be in use. So, uh, I mean, my gosh, uh, I mean, what it's a, that's the dream job, right? Like that's such a huge brand and be able to contribute a, a logo to the storied history of NASA and space design is like, man, that's su something super special. And, you know, having grown up in California, Edwards Air Force Base, my dad worked um, security at the NASA compound that was there. So I grew up around the space shuttle and, you know, um, all the really intricately designed patches and things like that. So it's kind of a full circle moment for me in, um, you know, being virtually alongside my parents when they watched the SpaceX launch and sharing stories about growing up outside Edwards Air Force or in at Edwards Air Force Base near the NASA compound and to seeing a logo of mine now sort of all over the place with, with the with the NASA launch and the SpaceX launch. So that was, I mean, one thing to do the logo, but again to be able to have the opportunity to to give that experience back to my parents was yeah. was very, very special. Man, what a rad story to be a like that's so awesome to be a part of. Yeah, I mean again it's it's one of those things where it probably time for another uh, another time for you know kind of the story behind that but um yeah i think just uh, just knowing the right people and um you know in this particular case doing work for free ultimately led me to the contacts that that um got me to where uh, i was brought up for consideration for nasa so um but yeah man gosh man it's just space design like what the crap man that's freaking awesome <laughs> space design love it man yeah, it's like well, chris put a logo put a logo in space like that's that's amazing yeah not many people can say that uh yeah i i would agree <laughs> well chris you've reached the point for the ask it forward question man this is where i have a question for you for my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest i'm not going to tell you who they are but you can ask okay. them anything so first up i love i, I love it my last guest was Patrick Richardson from January Began, graphic designer and illustrator out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm. And he has a two-part question, and I love it. 
So first up is the age old classic. If you weren't in the position you were in, what would you be doing? Oh man. Uh, good question. Um, man, uh, what would I be doing? It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, because I'm kind of I'm kind of already doing it. I started my own side hustle brand that is um, uh, focused on uh, making products specifically in America. Um, mm-hmm. It's called the Godspeed Company, and, uh, and I don't mean to, to to like not answer the question fully, but it, it, it's apparel and clothing and fashion design. Uh, of course, it is somewhat design related, but a lot of what we're doing now is creating uh, things that um, you know uh, again are, are utilizing some of the oldest American factories. So just like being in that world. And you know, supporting those American-made communities and like coming up with ideas in that space is super fun. And if I wasn't a designer, I feel like I I would naturally get into that space anyways. Um, so I think yeah, I think something I don't know, brand-related um, doesn't necessarily have to be designed, but it's just like that. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of already doing something that isn't necessarily squarely just being a designer. It's it's running a small little business that is focused on American-made. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So the second part of this question is uh, a real quick, simple one. And it's an age old classic that I'm sure you had when you were a kid lots of times, but you mm. know, as we grow up and become adults, it, it sort of fades away and becomes a less important question, but we're working on changing that and bringing it back. Um, Chris, simply what's your favorite dinosaur? My favorite dinosaur, man. It's uh, I think it's an important, it's an important question to ask and have a conversation around. Because um, I, I just feel like the Velociraptor um, has just gotten so much attention because of Jurassic Park. And of course, you know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex and things like that are just classic things that as kids, I think we immediately um, are attracted to. I always had a fondness for the Triceratops. Yes, Triceratops. Like short little stumpy dude, but he had this thing on his face that was like, come at me, bro. Right? Yeah, like, just, just come at me, bro. Like it was, it's just like, what you know, I can't, can't move that fast, but I got these things on my face that, you know, I mean, you're going to have to come mess with if you're going to come my way. So, um, it's just, I mean, he was tough, but like cute at the same time, which is hard to explain. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I I appreciate the questions from, from, from Pat out in Fort Collins. My mentor actually lives in Fort Collins. Shout out to Dave Goldfain. So it's really cool that that question came my way from that individual. Right on. Well, Chris, let's wrap this up with your ask it forward question for my next guest. What do you want to ask him? Yeah. and, And listen, I think equally as important considering today's climate um, and it's, and listen, I mean, brace yourself. Cause it's, 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 it's a heated debate you're bound to have with the next person oh, as I, <laughs> as I have found <laughs> out. Yes, please. Um, and, and it relates to, you know, specifically some, some unique food pairings. Um, something that I fell in love with early on as a kid. And apparently there was, you're either in camp A or camp B. Um, oh. and that, and, and so the, the question is simply put ketchup on Mac and cheese. Yes or no, and 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 have a think about it because I want I want to hear your take. I'm I'm man to me it is God sent. It is the greatest thing mm-hmm. ever. Ketchup, you know, Heinz ketchup on yeah. mac and cheese, and and then from there you're talking barbecue sauce 2.0 things. But yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. it it's just it it's it it's it it's everything. 
you know, so I think there's two levels. When you say mac and cheese, there's two levels. There's there's the classic craft dinner, there's the classic KD, but there's also yep. like the upscale five star restaurant, like five or six special cheeses, like yeah. you know, really put like together. Velveeta. You're, you're talking Velveeta, because that to me was upscale compared to craft <laughs> mac and cheese. And and yeah. and and I'll and I'll keep it simple. It doesn't matter, right? It's it's ketchup on any Bold. event Bold. is magic. Is magic. Bold. And um, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm I'm willing to go toe to toe with anyone who says it, in fact, is not. But that aside, um, I, where are you? I'm a ketchup on mac and cheeser. I am Amen, there. However, I have been on the part of it where you've gone too far with the ketchup. There's too much. You've exceeded the balance. So, Everything in moderation, of course. Yes, I'm a yes with the proper ratio. Okay, I can get with. I, I mean, you're in. You're 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 in. You're yep, in. I got so, it. Red shirts. Um, you see what we got going here? We are symbolism. I, I dig it. I dig <laughs> it. Chris, man, thank you so much. That's a brilliant question. I cannot wait to ask that of my next guest. And you have reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, sir. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I'm so humbled for the opportunity, Dave. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. All right, everybody. That is the end of today's episode. I told you what a great conversation. Man, Chris is such a rad dude. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you are interested at all in getting into that craft beer label design game, the craft beverage label design game, heck, any part of the label design game, you got to go to printdesignacademy.com and get the free guide there to start learning about how some of these stellar labels are designed, the materials used, and how they come together. Go check it out, printdesignacademy.com. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week.